Hello, I'm Leslie Talbert, Regents Professor in Neuroscience at the University of Arizona, and this is Arizona Science. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Cowan, Assistant Professor of Psychology at the U of A. He's interested in figuring out how our brains make decisions, and especially interested in finding out how learning and physical activity play into decision-making. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Tell us, how do you investigate the complex interactions between various brain centers while brains learn and, and make decisions? Well, as we might know, the brains are made of neurons, billions and billions of neurons. And luckily for us scientists, those neurons are both electrical and chemical. And because they're electrical, we can actually pick up the really micro, small, small, small electrical signals that neurons give out when they send a signal to another neuron. And we can record that activity with very, very fine wires, wires thinner than a human hair. Um, and so I do that while animals are trained to make decisions on different cost-benefit decision-making tasks. And I try to predict what their decisions will be before they actually make them to see if a particular region of the brain is involved in the decision or if their actions indicate that their neural activity maybe is involved in motivation or reward or some other facet of decision-making. So you can record from multiple of these neurons simultaneously? Yeah, we can record from many, many neurons in different ways. So when an individual neuron sends a signal to another individual neuron, it emits what we often call a spike, a very short electrical pulse. And you can record those with these little fine wires. But you can also record the activities of many hundreds or thousands of neurons with these global oscillations, what we usually call brain waves. Uh, and so we can also measure those as well in a deciding, behaving animal. So tell us about the special role that you're discovering for physical activity in learning and memory. Actually, this relates to some of the work we've been looking at in decision-making. And my, my initial goal was to try to find those brain regions involved in deliberating between options. But when I was actually recording from this area called the anterior cingulate cortex in the frontal part of your brain, I found that those neurons which we thought originally were involved in this deliberation and kind of the deciding part, they only became active after the animal made the decision. And then further investigation told us that what they were really doing, probably at least, is they were sustaining the motivation, the perseverance, the kind of motor vigor required to get the goal that the, the animals wanted in the end. And so they might be more involved in perseverance rather than decision-making. And so they seem to be connected with the animal's to ability to sustain movement or sustain motor activity. Are they likely to be comparing the effort with the potential reward? Uh, during that period, you see that even though they've already kind of made their decision and they're motivated to get to the reward, the level of neural activity is also modulated. It's also it also modulates the the uh, it's modulated by the expected reward the animal will get in the future. You've just received a big grant from the National Science Foundation under the new Brain Initiative for developing novel ways to study how uh, neurons are modulating each other's activity. Um, while uh, an animal is behaving and making decisions. What are your plans for that? What are you going to be doing? So one, so I mentioned earlier that neurons are electrical and chemical. Um, and one thing we don't know is how those two things interact. For example, when a neuron sends a signal to another neuron, you get this little electrical pulse. But the activities of individual neurons are also modulated by chemicals we call, often call neuromodulators, things you might have heard of like dopamine or serotonin. 
What we don't know is how those modulators alter the coordination, the organization of the activities of individual neurons, because there's no technology out there to allow us to record both measurements of chemicals like norepinephrine or dopamine alongside the activities of individual cells, of individual neurons. And so I'm collaborating with Dr. Michael Hine over here in Arizona to develop a new technology that lets you record both simultaneously so we can understand how modulators like dopamine regulate the coordination between neurons during decision-making, for example. Is that going to translate into something that will have really special relevance for us mortal humans? Well, I think it has some implications. For example, when you have Parkinson's disease, you have this massive loss of dopamine-producing neurons. Um, and so if we understand what dopamine does to the coordination between cells in the brain by using technologies like this to better understand what dopamine does, what other modulators do when neurons work together or don't work together, we may have a better grasp or get a better grasp of what happens when you lose those cells, for example, in Parkinson's disease, or if you get strange modulation of that system as a result of drug addiction or schizophrenia. So students who work with you must be broadly trained across many disciplines. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, it's very true. I'm lucky I have a great group of students where I have some that are very good in, with their hands and making very fine electrodes. Others are really good at training animals. Others are very good at the programming or technology end of things, building electronic devices. So it, it takes a big team, and I have a, a lot of great undergraduate and, under, and graduate students working with me right now. So it, yeah, it's a, it's a fun experience to be working with the students. I think they're very lucky. <laughs> Thanks very much, well, thank Stephen, you very for much. talking with us.